This is WQA Radio, a podcast from the Water Quality Association, the leading voice of the water treatment industry. And hello, I'm your host, Wes Bleed. We're looking for the U.S. economy to grow somewhere around one and a half or two percent um, on average for the better part of the next decade. Now, that sounds low, um, but really, it, it's not a terrible thing. What we look at that is a not too hot, not too cold scenario where it creates the potential for that expansion to last a longer time. That's John Rossellini from PGM Investments talking about the impact of COVID-19 on the economy and your investments. And welcome to WQA Radio, news and insights about the water treatment industry. Find us at wqa.org, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. This is episode number 173. If you're joining us for the first time, we are glad you're here. Be sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss a show. And if you have not yet been over to Apple Podcasts or iTunes and, uh, and have not left a review, please do that as well. The more positive reviews we get, the more interest in the show. And in this episode, we will feature a portion of our recent webinar, Economy, Markets, and Opportunities in a Dynamic World. Brian Roach from Merrill Lynch, who provides investment advice to WQA, and John Rossellini from PGM Investments, discussed the coronavirus and the impact on the current marketplace in the financial marketplace. Plus, I'll have our WQA tip. Now on to Brian Roach and John Rossellini from their webinar on... WQA Radio. There's a lot that has happened. The coronavirus has impacted us in ways that we couldn't imagine or predict. Even since December of this year, when we heard the coronavirus in the news, the outcome was from an economic perspective, perspective is the coronavirus shut down a lot of activity in the first quarter. And when you look at the macro box there, the upper left box, you'll see that the first quarter growth was down 7% year over year. So that's GDP growth, gross domestic product here in the United States was down 7% year over year. And our expectations were, were at that time that we would be down then 6% on the year. Probably the most significant decline in growth in the United States that we've seen since the Great Depression. In response, the government, the federal government, both the Federal Reserve and the U.S. federal government responded with some pretty strong policies, both monetary and fiscal policies. The monetary policy resulted in a lot of printing of money and increasing the money supply. The fiscal policy responded very quickly with some programs aimed at maintaining capital for individuals who were forced to be out of work. You may be familiar with some of them. The Paycheck Protection Program is one. Stimulus checks were another. There was increase in employment benefits, retirement plan changes, and then deferral of the federal tax tax day to July 2020. So all of those combined, we actually responded very quickly. And at that time in March, there was a lot of conversation around 
whether this will be a very quick recovery economically or will be a very difficult recovery economically. At this time, it still remains to be seen, even though the equity markets and the fixed income markets have recovered very strongly. As a summary, what happened in the stock market, if we go to the right box, the equity space, the stock market was down 19.6% in the first quarter. The month of March alone was down 12.35%, led by energy stocks that were down 50.5% and financials down 31.9%. Since then, we've, we've, we've recovered quite strongly. Uh, in fact, now through the end of May, the stock market is actually, was actually down 4.97% as represented by the S&P 500. This month of June has actually been pretty strong as well, so we are teetering between being positive for the year and negative. And so when we talk about a recovery, and you'll hear it in the news, whether it's an economic recovery or a stock market recovery, so far we've enjoyed a pretty quick V-shaped recovery in the stock market, and it remains to be seen what will happen within the economy. Now I'll turn it over to, the, to John for his insights on the fixed income side, where we saw some very strong volatility again back in March, but with what the Federal Reserve did, Stepping in, they provided a lot of, of strength there. So, John, if you could take over on the fixed income side. Sure thing, Brian. And uh, thank you very much um, for allowing me to talk about such an exciting topic. While well, you get the economy and stocks and I get the boring, <laughs> the boring bond stuff. It's your expertise, um, John. <laughs> well, I say that tongue in cheek um, because in the period we went through at the end of March into April and even, and even true somewhat today, bonds were anything but boring. Um, we at PGM Investments, or sort of the investment arm of Prudential, the big insurance company, um, the backbone of any insurance company, by the way, is the general ledger account and what you do with it. And we've grown to be one of the largest bond investors in the world by making sure that the uh, insurance company is in good standing. What we saw was really an unprecedented, there's that word again, level mm -hmm. of demand for cash. Um, and the reason was what we were doing essentially at an economic level from the top down was putting the economy in a medically induced coma, right, shutting things down to prevent the spread of a biological pandemic, right, hard to model for, um, and not overwhelm our healthcare system. So when that happened, what we saw was in every participant in the fixed income market looked to raise as much cash as they could as quickly as they could to build up a war chest, right, because nobody knew exactly how long and still don't to some extent know exactly how long that slowdown will last. Individual investors, small businesses, corporations, institutions, even banks went to the bond market to raise cash. And the uncertainty um, led, the uncertainty of the duration of that slowdown is what led to this sort of liquidity squeeze or liquidity crunch. Um, as a result, and you'll see some of the numbers here in the small print on the bottom left of this slide, what we saw was things that were things that um, we traditionally think of as safer, think of you know, high quality corporate bonds and things like that, um, trading off, not necessarily because those bonds were less credit worthy, but because everybody was trying to sell them at the same time, right? Uh, in high grade um, or high quality investment grade corporates were down you know, 4% or so. Municipal bonds were down close to 1%. High yield, the junkier or lower credit quality into the bond market, you know, down 13 plus percent. Uh, over the first quarter. These are really big moves in a market that's supposed to be boring and supposed to be the ballast to your portfolio. 
but were occurring for good reason. And the Fed, to their credit, stepped in and in roughly two weeks uh, uh, eclipsed what they had done in 2008 and 2009 in eight or nine months. Right? They acted quickly, they acted swiftly, and they kept the uh, underlying plumbing or the plumbing underneath the bond market flowing so that investors could access cash to, um, to make it to you know, quote, quote, the other side of this. So that's sort of what happened in the fixed income market. And we'll get into a little bit of, of what the results of that, um, of that intervention and where some of the opportunities lie later. But Brian, I'll, uh, I'll turn it back over to you and let you well, and uh, continue chugging along. Thanks. And I think we're, we are very interested always in the economy, jobs, numbers, the stock market. And I think what gets overlooked oftentimes as individual investors is fixed income. Um, and you, you very quickly pointed out the unprecedented, that's three times so far, activity <laughs> uh, that we uh, experienced within the bond market. And I, I think for perspective for everybody on the call, the United States bond market's about 40 trillion with a T. Um, the stock market's about 24 trillion. So when you're talking about total moves in markets, the bond market obviously has a lot more leverage and scale um, by a significant margin. Not probably not well known. And I think that it's important for investors to recognize what you talked about as the differences in bonds and, and to highlight the fact that you just, like you said, there's a lot of different bonds out there. They're supposed to be a balance for your portfolio. But when you look at what happened in March, I'm sure people looked in their 401ks or in their investment portfolios and said, Hey, these are supposed to be bonds and they're down 10%. What's going on? Uh, and I think what you mentioned is, just, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think there's a differentiation between a lot of different types of bonds in there. That's right. Do you agree? Absolutely. 100%. So we'll get into to a little bit more about what we believe an individual investor, a business can do to help themselves on the fixed income side, because it's, it's less frequently spoken about um, within conversations and in the news. So as we go towards what we believe is happening now so that we can prepare for what happens next, we'll look first to, to review the economy and where we are. We're going to flip here to page 12, but this is a chart actually of what our economic outlook will look like. And so obviously what has happened here, we all have experienced this great shutdown. And as we're starting to see businesses and the world reopen a little bit geographically here, we're starting to see if, if the virus will continue to get worse or get better before uh, things continue to open. We had a very, uh, since then, unemployment has surged uh, to levels never seen before. And now we actually got a very good employment number last week uh, where the, we were expecting to lose another 7.5 million jobs through the month of May. It actually came back where we had gained 2.5 million. So a very significant swing last week, which is signaling, remember we're talking about a recovery in both the econ economy, the stock market, and the bond market. It's signaling a quicker recovery than we'd expected in the economy. So we're going through all of that at this point in time. I think the key to, that we all are focusing on is how we progress within the coronavirus. If the coronavirus spikes and get worse, gets worse, then you're going to see both the economy, stock market, and probably the bond market become a lot more volatile once again. If we continue to see it get better, well, then it's more than likely that those jobs numbers will continue to improve 
and actually today's economy, uh, the stock market and bond market will continue to improve, improve along with it. But, and I think, you know, as we look through this with a lens of what is important for you as a business owner, as a, an investor, as someone who's planning for their retirement, I think it's important to give a little bit of a historical perspective, especially as it pertains to the stocks. And so this chart is actually a chart of the stock market. You'll see the, the middle there, there's um, some blue boxes that follows what's the Russell, called the Russell 3000 index. So that's the most broad index of stocks in the United States. And you'll see the performance of that uh, over the past uh, 10 years. And you'll see the many bumps in the road that occurred both 2010, late 2010, early 2012, uh, early, late 2018, you may remember that. Um, and then of course the big, big fall off that occurred recently in 2020. So what is an individual investor to do? And we believe that someone who is prepared for this really has a structure of cash, of bonds and stocks, and maintaining a discipline around that asset allocation allows you to make sure you can muddle through the periods in time where they are difficult. And as you've seen in the past, we've had difficult periods in time. However, we, we've got an upward trajectory uh, within the stock market. Um, and as we keep going, where, what that actually physically means, if you look over historic returns by decade, you'll see the historic returns on average are pretty strong. You know, if you go to the middle second column from on that chart, you'll see annual return, including dividends. We did have a negative period in 2010s in, in the 2000s, but the remaining periods of time show significant growth within uh, the stock market. And so we believe that, you know, the old adage that, that we promote is time in the market versus timing the market. And we believe that having a strong discipline around how much cash you maintain, how much you maintain in your fixed income, and then corresponding how much you maintain in stock. So you don't have the feeling that when the market declines in periods of time, like it was in March, that you have, you feel as though you need to, or should be selling out of that emotional aspect. So we look to at this current bear market or how it compared historically. I think this slide shows some great data. If we go back to the, 2007 numbers, if you look to the bottom chart, there's a gray bar across the middle of that screen that says S&P 500 index. You'll see that the low price, price at trough and the date versus the price after one year. So what, has, what historically has occurred in periods of time of distress is that a significant gain occurs after a one year period. And if you go to the column 2007 to 2009, you'll see that 69 a total return of 69% occurred one year after. So if we extrapolate that to today, the S&P 500 price declined to about 2,200 uh, in, in March. So that would mean that we would get back, potentially if we went up by 50%, we'd get back to about a 3,300 number on the S&P 500 within the next year. Today, we're about 3,150. So we do, we have come up extremely strongly from that low uh, period of time. 
So again, it show it goes to show that we don't want to be forced to sell into the equities. We want to sell into the strength and align that to our goals. And so I, I'm going to flip it to John to talk a little bit deeper about the bond market now and, and where we are now and what the easing, the federal government or the, the monetary policy easing was here in the United States and across the globe to talk about where we think the long-term trajectory of the interest rates will be and, and what that might mean for you. That's perfect, Brian. I, I ended the uh, the first portion of you know the what happened part with the Fed swooping in and saving the day and and buying a whole bunch of bonds and injecting money into the system to keep the plumbing flowing uh, underneath the bond market. Um, you know, again, in two weeks they did what took them you know the better part of a year last time around in terms of uh, uh, stimulating and, and keeping the market healthy. Um, but no, that's not a free lunch, and there are there are ramifications too. Uh, that sort of um, uh, uh, saving the day and re returning the bond market to pricing things a little more quote unquote normally uh, and getting things back to normal. Um, one of those ramifications that we see as our, as our base case at PGM at Prudential is that interest rates across the board are going to be low for a very long time, probably lower than you expect. Uh, what I mean by across the board is both the short-term interest rates that the Federal Reserve has control over uh, and have set at zero and affect things like savings accounts and money markets and short-term CDs, uh, overnight lending, that kind of thing, as well as longer-term rates, which is where the bond market comes in and naturally decides via buyers and sellers what longer-term interest rates should be, like a 10-year treasury bond, for example, which we use as a barometer and affects things like maybe longer-term business loans or mortgages, car loans, things like that. Um, so lower for a longer time. And what the bond market looks at for those longer-term interest rates, uh, specifically that 10-year treasury, is, is what buyers and sellers, what the investors in the fixed income in the bond market uh, expect in terms of economic growth and longer-term inflation statistics here in the U.S. And so accumulating all of the debt that we did through both the fiscal policies uh, coming out of the Treasury, the Treasury Department through passed through Congress uh, and, the, and the government, as well as the monetary policies of the Fed, again, sort of you know, staving off that illiquidity squeeze that we had and returning things to normal, that debt load will serve as a little bit of an overhang for potential economic growth being outsized right, or being higher than expected going forward. And what I mean by that is we're looking for the U.S. economy to grow somewhere around one and a half or two percent um, on average for the better part of the next decade. Now, that sounds low, um, but really it, it, it's not a terrible thing. What we look at that is a not too hot, not too cold scenario where it creates the potential for that expansion to last a longer time than it would if you were growing too quickly or too, you know, uh, too qu um, high of a rate too soon and sort of burning through uh, potential economic growth uh, and shortening that cycle, or if you were growing too slowly. Um, and not allowing that cycle to continue. So it really is a little bit of a Goldilocks scenario where the debt load from all of this stimulus that we saw um, on both the fiscal and monetary side, plus an aging demographic uh, uh, here in the U.S., an aging workforce, and, uh, and the deficits the, the, the government is currently running, um, all put us in this, you know, lower for longer scenario. Interestingly enough, when I tell people that, you know, interest rates are going to be in that kind of one to 2% range across the board uh, for the better part of the next decade, you know, everybody sort of pushes back and they say, well, wait a second, 
what about the 70s and the 80s and the 10% mortgages and 15% and 20% treasuries? And, and what we look at is historically, interest rates have been lower. They were higher for a period around the 60s, 70s and early 80s. And that was the anomaly, not necessarily the norm. The norm would be on the lower end of things. Uh, you know, we're probably going to be on the lower end of that band even going forward. Um, but it's something to consider when you think about, uh, um, you know, when am I going to see my <clears throat> couple year long CD be five or 6% again? Well, the answer from our end is, is probably not for, for a very long time, for a long time. And that was a portion of our recent webinar, Economy, Markets and Opportunities in a Dynamic World, with Brian Roach from Merrill Lynch, and he provides investment advice to WQA, and John Rossellini from PGM Investments, discussing the coronavirus and its impact on the current market. You can see the full webinar at wqa.org webinars, and you can reach out to Brian with any questions you might have at brian.r.roach, R-O-C-H-E, at ml.com, ML for Merrill Lynch. And now our WQA tip, continue to check out the coronavirus resources on the WQA website. We've got new information on the Paycheck Protection Program and other resources, a video that steps you through the various pages. We've got a, a resource called COVID-19 and drinking water. All of this is available at wqa.org coronavirus. Education is available as well. Our Live virtual education sessions that were held in April are all recorded and available for on-demand playback. You'll be able to see the recorded sessions throughout the year by going to wqa.org convention, clicking on the education tab. If you did not register for convention or for those sessions, you can still do so. Uh, they are terrific resources for you and your entire team and an even better deal. Join WQA. Become a member now and you'll get free access to all of that terrific education. Again, join now for access to that great education. Go to wqa.org membership. Thanks for listening to WQA Radio, a podcast of the Water Quality Association the leading voice of the water treatment industry. Remember, you can subscribe to WQA Radio on most popular podcast apps. Learn more about water at wqa.org and of course, learn about WQA product certification, professional certification, and how you can become a member at wqa.org. This is Wes Bleed, so long from WQA Radio.